The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey today. Hi, I'm Ryan LaPlante, and I'm one of the crazy founders of Dumb Dumbs and Dice, the production company that's made the video you're watching or the podcast you're listening to right now. Now, we're clearly busy. We're producing five weekly podcasts, Dum Dums and Dragons, Blood and Syrup, The Mythos Mysteries, Warhammer 40,000, The Valentine Heresy, and Curse Code and Crown, as well as three event podcasts with miniseries releases scheduled at random intervals, Dumb Scum and Villainy, One Shots, and the bad movie review show, Garbage Town the Movie Podcast. But we want to take this time to invite you to become a part of our company and a part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. You can get access to our Discord, access to exclusive DM and character chats. You can get the chance to name characters in our shows. You can even become a recurring NPC and hear yourself interacting with our characters each week through the voice of Tom. You can become a patron for as little as $1, and there's great value for you at even that level. So please, join the Dum Dums and Dice family and help us make even more content Content in a way that you are guaranteed to love. That's patreon.com slash dumdumdice. D-U-M-B, D-U-M-B, D-I-C-E. So let's do something dumb together, and thanks for being part of our stories. I am Executron, god of merchandising, and I came into existence because Dum Dums and Dice has its own merchandise. That's a god pot, get it? Dice? Merchandise? Anyways, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, spiral notebooks, clocks, wall art, throw pillows, bags, and even stickers emblazoned with your favorite Dum Dums and Dice characters and their catchphrases. Go to redbubble.com slash people slash Dum Dum Dice. That's D-U-M-B. D-U-M-B D-I-C-E. One more time for the mortals in the back? Redbubble.com slash people slash Dum Dum Dice. Get your merchandise Dice today. Welcome, my kindred, to the second season of Blood and Syrup, a Vampire the Masquerade live play podcast. I am Sylvania Dracul, your host through this world of darkness. Our heroes successfully defeated the orphans as commanded by the Prince of Montreal, but their situation hasn't gotten any better. Iris is away on tour. Damien Black has kidnapped Ridley's mother, and Everett's crises of conscience are growing more deadly as Montreal falls deeper into the shadows of the Camarilla and the Vampire Mafia. How will the Coterie escape their blackmailers and keep Montreal from washing away in a tide of blood? Abandon hope, all ye who listen here. Everett, it began as most things you don't like begin with a phone call. Or more accurately, a text of an incomprehensible series of emojis and numbers that you knew meant you had to go visit Ridley. Otherwise, he would have just called. So you've got yourself a new car 
it's been a long time since you've had your car to kind of hide out in and get things done. Yeah. What car did you manage to scrounge for yourself? <clears throat> and if you think it would be new, myself? then let's roll a die to find out if you can get the, like, what, what car did you want? Um, I think Everett, um, in, uh, uh, I think because we were hiding out with, uh, at the uh, the morgue there, I think Everett just sourced a, a hearse. I think that's just simple, uh, inconspicuous to leave it there kind of thing. Uh, and it's a good people mover, uh, especially the kind of way that we sometimes have to move people. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's he's got a hearse. Right. So your hearse pulls up to the strip club that your coterie had taken over at the end of the previous season. And you went in through what is now Montreal's hottest bisexual strip club. There are people of every variety, gender, all of them looking great, decked out, theme shows, very exciting place. How do you feel about walking through an environment like that? This doesn't strike me as Everett's prime hang. Yeah, I don't think he really gets the appeal of the music um i think he he's it's kind of like you know you're having a good time great uh don't let your good time interfere with my good time kind of thing like i think that's like the the kind of like a rule for him is like they're fine out here doing their thing having fun whatever good for you not for me yeah. Right. So the, the Bear Boys, you get some respectful nods. Chonky gives you the nod as you go in and you make your way to the back office uh, where, the, where, the, where the door opens uh, and Ridley sitting behind a desk. Somehow it feels like you've transplanted the office that you had right. in the bar at the beginning. Just a tiny, dingy, kind of crappy place is the bar inside this. You know, it's a very fancy bar in general, but the office is still terrible. Ridley's like, all right, it's good to see you. So why don't you take a seat? So I've got this thing. That I think is going to be great. And he just goes past you and closes the door and kind of like shoves you into a chair. Uh, and you're kind of getting ready for bad news because if he's really setting the scene. Yeah. If he's excited about something, I'm going to like hate it. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know how Damien Black has kind of taken over my whole life and he's got my mum and he's going to kill her if I don't do what he says. So I've started having to do bad things. You know all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I recall. So I got two pieces of amazing news. One, I know where my mum is. She's in Calgary. And that's kind of all I know, but she's in Calgary. However, uh, I can't go because he'll fucking kill my mum and then me. Uh, and he knows everyone else loves me, so I can't send any of my friends. But you know no one loves, you know, thinks loves me. It's kind of you. Because we only kind of figured our shit out like fucking two weeks ago and it was kind of quiet in our own little fucking place, you know, white line, justice, etc. Yeah. So I kind of need to send you to fucking Calgary to go get my mum. Ridley, I don't want to go to Calgary. Oh, no. So that's why I got you a job. <laughs> so now you have to go. So you're going to be doing front desk at some sort of fucking sheriff's company. I don't fucking know, but I got you a job as a night copper. You know you're going to fucking love that. How can you fucking say no? Then you go. Uh, Calgary's probably real small, so it'll take you like <laughs> fucking a day. Uh, you go. Find my mum. Bingo, bango. Bring it back to Montreal, and we can overthrow the fucking Norte Nostra. So... You got me a job, Ridley? Well, I thought, you know, you're not going to want to go to Calgary. You want to stay here with me because I'm fucking great. But it's not going to be possible. So I thought, what do you want? 
more than anything in the world. You would like a low-level administrative position with a small police force. Right. So that's just a cover <laughs> only as long as I find your mom and then we come straight back or do I need to like what am I doing at the police station? I listen, I, I feel I like cases. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna call these I'm operational details and those can live with you. But they'll live with you because I forget you gotta have a cover job and if you could get some sort of fucking, you know, paper badge, you could go like hey, hey, oi, I'm I'm Fucking a cop. I don't do the cop thing, but I yeah, just no, need you, you got to go. Me, you got me dead to rats there. That was spot on. I thought there was two of me in the office here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking piece of shit. Uh, well, here's the deal. We could talk this out forever, but then your driver's going to be real upset because I knew you'd need somebody to get your earth out of Calgary. What? My driver? Well, yeah, because, I mean, you're just going to be able to drive at night, but we need you to get there fast to save my mum, or I'm going to do fucking bad things here. So I got someone, and you're going to be a big, really big fan. And he goes to the office door. It's like, hi, it's so happy to be here. Can't wait for us to go around. And then I'm going to drive really far. Calgary's kind of close, but I have a friend who was there once. And he's like, yeah. So and he just closes the door in his face. <laughs> and he's like, Ridley. Well, I mean, he's got Am I leaving tonight? tonight, and is my driver that motor mouth? From the cab company? Yeah, but he, he'll drive the day and then sleep during the night. Oh God, I hope so. All right. And what, so I'm leaving now? Yeah, I didn't think this should wait, so kind of everything's good to go. <sighs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to... Look, I'm... Kind of put me into a corner here. I'm not gonna not rescue someone's mom like that. I I just would have lacked a little more heads up or to kind of be involved in the planning. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And knowing how reasonable you are now, if I could go back in time, I'd clearly have had this conversation with you. However, you do have a history of sort of getting emotional and not wanting to do things. So I kind of forced your end. I'm sorry. Next time we'll do more fucking chatty chat, you know? Yeah, this is kind of getting me a little emotional and making me not want to do it, Ridley. Yeah, but you, you're still gonna because you're a good guy and shit, right? Oh, fuck you, Ridley. And I'll get up. <laughs> well, I like, I like took my hat off to like come into the office and like put it back on. <laughs> off my head for all of 45 seconds and I, I'll, I'll get back up and go for the door. Uh, is there anything else I need to know or uh, any equipment I'm bringing with me? Like if they're holding your mom out there, there's obviously some kind of vampire presence, right? They're yeah, watching I mean, her, I'd holding her. I'd assume that the Note Nostra's got some kind of fucking foothold. I'll tell you, I tried to get in touch with the Camarilla out there. Couldn't fucking find anyone. So I'm thinking you're going to have to go in and just kind of figure it out. You'll <laughs> use your fucking investigation skills. Uh, by the way, you can't keep the driver, though. I've got to get him back. So basically, it's you and a I car and a low-level <laughs> administrative position, saving my mum and thus probably Montreal. Because you don't want to know what I could get made to do over here if this takes you like a year. Because the answer is a fucking lot of bad shit. Right. All right, I'll try and bring your mom back fast as I can. In the meantime, 
could you maybe, I don't know, drag your feet a little when it comes to serving the Note Nostra? Yeah, I'm, I will drag my feet exactly as much as will me my mum doesn't get hurt. But I will tell you, if you've been at the conversation in the hospital, uh, Damien Black will fucking cut my mum's head off if I fucking slow down in the least. So I'm going to need you to just, like, work real quick, okay? All right, I'll relax, Ridley. I'll I'll get your mum. <sighs> it feels good to have someone fucking say that because this is not my fucking specialty. All right, it's time for you to go. And he's so sorry. I'm so excited for you and me to go on a long car ride. I don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe we should ship you part of the way and then it would actually be faster. Like I could fly and then you could just get sent to the thing and you just motor mouth. For the first time, the music's covering the sound for a moment for you. Yeah. So just walking through the bar is, I think, as close to heaven as you yeah. get. And then you begin a several weeks long road trip. <laughs> Uh, with your favorite driver. Uh, he does trade off with you. Uh, so he does sleep during a portion of the night. Less than you would hope. It turns out uh, he's known as a micro sleeper. Uh, no. <laughs> no. He only sleeps about two and a half hours a night and then he's fully rested. Uh, and he says normally that he would spend most of his evenings like like painting or other things that help him achieve like a dreamlike state. But he doesn't want to leave you alone to just drive and try to focus on his art. So he, he lets his mind rest while he's driving. Uh, and your coffin is in the back. Luckily, you do have a hearse. So the trek for you, there is a coffin, like a place for you to crash that's uh, light sealed and safe. Uh, as you get closer to the town, like it's... You're realizing, I think, as you drive and do any amount of thinking or research, that Calgary is way bigger than <laughs> than Ridley was in any way aware of. Ridley right, seems yeah. to have thought this was like you drive out for a day or two. <laughs> it'll take you 48 <laughs> hours to find something and just drive back like a lot yeah. of people in Europe think Canada works. Uh, he's wrong. <laughs> it's a very big city. Uh, and the other thing that's kind of surprising for you is you can't find any information on the town you're going to work at which is just known as new haven so outside um, calgary is is where i'm, I'm yeah yeah can you roll me an investigation it. just uh i'm imagining you'd have to stop for your driver to go to the bathroom and you'd have access to a cell phone okay uh what kind of hunger am i working with um i think you would have been reasonably well fed let's say you'll start at roll, roll me a rouse check so that's a success. Great. I'm going to say that you are actually, uh, we'll say over the course of the drive, uh, you can stop to hunt. It would actually make sense for you to do that in kind of random out of the way towns. Uh, and you find vampires that seem kind of shitty. So for you, it's just kind of like stop, eat a vampire, keep going. It's you don't convenient and concerning that they're out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, truck okay. stops in kind of high risk populations makes are sense. prone right. to having uh, the worst vampires around. There are right. those who are much smarter and sort caring of away from about prying victims. eyes of the Camarilla. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, okay. So I'm sitting at what? Probably one hunger then? Is that? Yeah. I say, let's, let's have you sit at one. That feels okay. right. Okay. Uh, so I've got my hunger die and my regular dice. Um, and it's just straight investigation, no um, mental component. Um, I would say we'll do investigation, and do you feel like this probably intelligence realistically? Sure. This is just for you to look into New Haven and their department, where you're apparently being hired to work the front desk. Uh, three successes. Three successes. Okay. Uh, 
you find references to it and you can find references to a, produ- a a construction company that worked on a subdivision in New Haven, but you're only seeing it listed as a subdivision. You're not actually seeing it listed as its own place. It's clearly south of Calgary, um, but you're not finding a, a whole tremendous amount of detail despite the address that you're getting sent to it. You do see that the place you're going does match with the location of the subdivision that's been built. It does strike you as a bit odd that there is essentially a subdivision being built in the middle of nowhere as usually... There would be other things going on, but that's all you get. Okay. Um, because you are racing towards New Haven, though, uh, you don't always have the best timing when you arrive. Uh, it turns out the last leg of the drive is actually being done by day. Okay. So uh, I'm, and, I'm locked in a, a box and can't really yes. observe my our, our arrival. Correct. Uh, and to be super clear about how vampire daytime works, vampire it's not the same as like sleeping where you just have like the chance to wake up or other things. You fall into like a blank minded coma. It's almost as though the time kind of instantly passes like an anesthetic uh, unless there's something specific to wake you, which you obviously don't have. So you are somewhat surprised when you wake up inside your coffin with someone hauling the lid off. You can feel that it's it's clearly uh, just after sunset. Um, you're not struggling to wake up. You kind of wake up as the lid's being hauled off. And you find yourself in a small office uh, with with an older man in a traditional kind of small town sheriff's uniform. He's, he's bald. He's got that kind of Dr. Phil toilet seat of hair uh, around his head. He's a little bit heavy set. And, and he uh, he looks down at you, and he's just like, "Okay, you can't you can't tell anybody anything other than that you're the sheriff. Okay, you're the sheriff. Now get out there and save everybody's lives. Use a badge." Uh, and he gives you a badge, uh, and you realize you can hear screaming down the hallway, just howling and pounding. And he's pointing towards the door, and he's like, "Here, you can take my gun, but you're the sheriff. If you don't tell them you're the sheriff, a bunch of innocent people are gonna die. Okay." Well, I, I'm here for the uh, receptionist job. Uh, I have a condition. I referenced the, the coffin. Um, Listen, Mr. Vampire, there's oh, a bunch shit. of other things attacking the building. I need, you need to be the sheriff or a bunch of innocent people are going to die. I'm talking thousands. So Fine. I need you to go out and save the day. The officers are going to think you're the sheriff. Just tell them you're the sheriff. All right, give me the gun. Here you go. So I've got his gun. I'm assuming I have my gun. Yep. And I take the badge and I go, I exit this office. Yeah. And, and exit I, I, I the follow office. the hall. I follow the screams down the hall. <laughs> yeah. So okay. exiting the office, you actually find yourself uh, in a, a the central area of what to you might actually feel kind of comfortable in what you would see as like the small town Texas kind of police area. It's It's the front. It's got four desks clearly for officers to be at. Uh, you can see doorways leading to holding and interrogation directly across from you. Uh, but where you are looking is to the left towards what is clearly the entrance. Uh, you do notice this room has no windows whatsoever anywhere, which is odd. Uh, it's got kind of a corporate feel to it. But there are just pounding fists slamming into two steel doors that are kind of interlocking. You're seeing dents coming in from the outside where there is screeching. Uh and from behind you, bursting through a back door, is a nervous-looking teenager who's probably about 6'5 and might weigh about 115 pounds. But he's wearing a uniform and has a shotgun that feels like it should be unbalancing him in his hands. Uh, and behind him becomes a vampire you have never seen before. So, Claire, 
Mm-hmm. You're bursting onto the scene, having come down the stairs from the attic where you live. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you look like? You've just been summoned uh, to battle, essentially. <laughs> yeah, where where I am most effective. Um, I would. Uh, so Doris Francis Barbara is uh, she's uh, she's five foot two. She looks about fourteen years old. Um, she's nice. uh, long blonde hair porcelain skin one blue eye um the other one is white uh obviously from some kind of trauma a long time ago uh and she's wearing like um a kind of an updated 1600s style peasant dress Mm. and her nails are sharp and sparkly pink so Doris does look like this because you had not received notice to like get into your sheriff's gear. So you, you've come down the stairs uh, and Troy, uh, who is the, the beanpole of, of a sheriff's deputy. Just, oh, I'm so glad you're here, Mr. Sheriff. Uh, there's a bunch of vampires. They kicked open the doors. I just got inside and locked it. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to die. Please save us. Uh, Doris, what do you say? You've, you're seeing your boss, your new sheriff, for the first time. You'd known he was uh, arriving tonight as of this morning. It was a very last-minute call right. after the tragic loss of the sheriff uh, threw off uh, all of New Haven's department. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you look like, Everett, just so we can have this described? I'll make it a note. There are other people being introduced later. I won't have you introduce yourself again. We'll just count the one description as <laughs> Everett uh, will know. Yeah, uh, uh, Everett is in a... Uh, like a a long coat, like a trench coat. He's got a white button-up shirt and like a black tie, kind of worn loose around the neck. Um, uh, he normally has uh, like a wide-brimmed sort of like Stetson uh, hat. Uh, I think that was probably off while he was in the coffin and he hasn't put it on because of this holy crazy commotion. Uh, so his hair, I think, is a little uh, kind of like slicked back. Um, not uh, on purpose or anything like that. You think that's kind of just like some good old naturally occurring grease right there. Um and uh, he's he's kind of uh, very uh, uh, quite skinny and a little kind of uh, not quite gaunt, but but he's he's quite lean. Um, uh, and I think the uh, the lookalike that we used as kind of just like a to help folks visualize is like uh, it's like a cross between, and it's an easy cross to make because it's Harrison Ford in Blade Runner and Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. It's just like so. <laughs> vaguely like just like a skinny harrison ford kind of sort of nice a little gruff looking but but lean and and not so uh uh, not as macho yeah i should i should say doris is uh, i forgot to do the celebrity thing if (laughs) if the closest thing would be um i can't remember her name but the kick-ass um hit girl from kick-ass zoe grace Grace she's got three names too zoe grace (laughs) moretz yeah okay Great. So what do you say to the sheriff? Doris, all you know is Troy panicked and told you a bunch of vampires are breaking in to kill everyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's going to just kind of walk over to Everett um, and just kind of, she's going to look up at him and cock her head with her eyes open wide and just um, say, you're here. May I? Sarah, may I have your wrist? Uh. And she's no. gonna grab his. She's gonna grab his wrist. Well, get her, get her off of me! And and just, just like <laughs> shake my. She's just gonna. She's gonna like smell the skin on your wrist, and just uh, look at you and say, "You smell conflicted." I look. I'm, I'm real glad you're here to save us, sir. I I look to Troy and like I'm protecting everyone from her, right? Because this is. 
No, them! Uh, and he points, and the door, the steel doors burst off their hinges and hammer in, and you see just four vampires in full frenzy, just fangs out, bloodshot eyes, bleeding from their kind of nose and ears, uh, and they just tear in uh, after all of you. And we cut to <laughs> an hour earlier. Uh, morning has begun the same day inside New Haven in a small apartment at the edge of town, the north west edge, because I'm not great with keeping track of the compass, uh, where Val, you have woken in in your coffin. Uh, what is the average morning like inside Val's apartment? Yep. The the average morning is that I mean vampire morning. So I was about to say what is morning. going on. <laughs> I yeah. was gonna say I, I think the term morning would actually be used because as I mean Everett is slowly becoming aware, but as all the other people are very aware, is uh, vampires live somewhat more openly in New Haven. So morning would not be a derided term the same way it might be elsewhere. But sorry, Val, continue. Yep, yep. So she would wake up in her coffin, which is in the tinier room in the apartment. It's an apartment with multiple rooms. But the the room is just a mess. So she would move the coffin off and just stumble over clothes that are just strewn about. And I guess if this is, is this a day, a work day? Or is this a weekend? It's a work day. So she would actually stumble around and find the remains of the actual uniform that she's supposed to wear for uh, being working for the sheriff's department. Yeah, so the sheriff's department uniforms are the traditional ones that you would picture from kind of uh, American small-town law enforcement. So it's the tan kind of short sleeve shirt with uh, the gold badge button-up, kind of black belt with the the equipment on it and dark slacks uh, to kind of boots. Uh, however, I think because I just you pictured, are... I just pictured Reno 911. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pants, though, pants. But pants, okay, <laughs> not, not, not cut off yet. However, uh, because you are a vampire police officer for this like specialty sheriff sheriff's unit, uh, you would have the opportunity to, I think, customize that. So what changes would Val have made to Val's uniform? Oh, okay, for sure. She would definitely have the sleeves ripped off and she would be <laughs> nice. wearing big, chunky combat boots with it. Like, <laughs> and she would also probably have a couple like random patches uh, like or places where it's torn and it's just fixed like really crappily. And she also would pull out of the, the front pocket. She has like mirror aviator shades that she would wear. And she she usually has like a toothpick or something in her mouth. Yeah. And I could just keep describing her if you <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure. What it, so, yeah, it was yes. a good description. So she is like uh five eight, so she's not super tall, but she's pretty built and she looks like in her late twenties, and she's got super short, spiky blonde hair, and she's just kind of like very solid butch looking lady and my my thought was that she looks similar to Lori Holden from Walking Dead but ah, especially nice. especially her Silent Hill version where she's a cop in that right. so she looks like that only a, like a little more rough around the edges and very undead so nice so yeah. you stumble out of your clothes strewn uh messy coffin yes. room yes. into the shape the space that you share uh with your son what does the rest <laughs> of the apartment look like i'm picturing this as kind of like not super modern so it's not open like think of an older style building but you've got a bit of a roomy apartment unless you specifically filled it with things it would feel a little bit empty there's the two bedrooms kind of a big living area a kitchen and then the front door it's one solid unit yeah yeah it would it would probably it's like a 50 50 split of feeling pretty empty 
but it's actually, it's not terrible. It's rather nice. Most of the mess has been contained to Val's room. And ever there's a few things, like there's gun parts and there's tools for, like, car repair just on surfaces randomly. But for the most part, it's like, she's trying to keep it generally nice. So they have a few nice pieces of furniture, like, that you would save up for. And then some of it is, like, scavenged, whatever kind of furniture, like, thing boxes in the corners or things like that. Like, one of those big wooden spools that that add factories that they have stuff but they they use it like as a coffee table <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. and approaching that coffee table is will your adopted son uh who is he's about six two he's tall uh he's he's a little bit lanky he's 26 uh he's living at home he's got kind of a, a little bit of a swoopy hair he's dressed in a a death metal t-shirt and baggy jeans uh, you can see that he's playing call of duty uh in, in the background he's got his computer set up in the corner and he's he set himself a surprisingly elaborate breakfast you've learned this about him like he's gonna take the time to make food he likes he has to do all the grocery shopping anyways uh because he, you constantly buy the wrong thing if he sends you which is a point of contention and he's just like gosh you always leave your room so messy i got your ration and i heated it up and he takes uh, your blood ration for the day out of the microwave where he had heated it up to body temperature and sets it down. It's almost like one of those high C cups that you could put a straw in. She she walks over to it and picks it up and just starts like drinking that like like chugging like chug and then and then sets down the empty one next to his like desk next to his computer stuff. And she's like, thanks. Don't forget to lock up. I never forget to lock up because I'm not allowed to leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With all the shit that's been going on, yeah. So stay and stuff it. What, what if I get a job, though? Would that be cool? I'm not listening to this. We're not having this conversation again. But I'm having it, he says, as you, like, back your way out the door. <laughs> yeah, she's just, like, leaving. He's still talking, and she just shuts the door. That's, oh, she didn't even clean up her own empty. Rashes are the worst, he says to himself as he picks it up and puts it in the garbage. Uh, you you get to exit the building to... This is a vampire who has a car as a touchstone, people. So why don't you walk us through this car, please? Okay. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Tyler Hewitt just coming at you with a little special offer for you. You know, if you're a fan of uh, what we're doing here on the show, then we have, to borrow a phrase from Jerry Holkins, a patron-oriented experience tailored just for you. If you go to patreon.com slash dice. You can sign up and get a bunch of special features that we're not really going to make available to anyone else. So do that now. Well, not right now, but, you know. It's fucking cool as hell. This car is a 2015 Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat. 6.2 liter. <laughs> V8 engine. Gets shit for gas mileage, but is a beautiful, completely black, but with custom red interior for spills and problems. It nice. also has a... It has a... Um, customized retrofitted tape deck to listen to tapes and it has the police uh set up it has like the dash cam and it has a uh, police radio and all that stuff in it so and it's amazing very, very loud very and the car's name is cherry if that ever comes up but might <laughs> so when you fire up the car i'm imagining the radio or tape deck or whatever retro system you've put in starts playing what's playing on, yes in what's playing in cherry as the it's, default 
It's uh, one of the Doors. It's a Doors tape. <laughs> so just one of the albums, you know, one of the sides is, is going on. So Awesome. Nice. Yep. So you peel out uh, and Cherry starts screaming down the road. Uh, yeah, <laughs> extremely loud for this time of night, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's also not a huge town. Uh, New Haven <laughs> has about 14,000 residents is like the full size. So there's not always there's not a ton of traffic on the road. There's a little bit. There's more traffic at night than you might otherwise expect. But you know, with the vampire economy and how that affects the human economy, there's more businesses open at night in New Haven than there are in most other areas. Uh, but you are are racing forwards, uh, and then we will cut to a different awakening. Um, Evie, you are in a, a nice, traditional suburban home. It was one of the things that you were given when you decided to move to New Haven. Uh, and I know you don't have the same cultural uh, beliefs or touchstones that the rest of the vampires do in terms of vampire behavior. So where does Evie sleep during the day? Um... Evie sleeps in the master bedroom of the house with blackout curtains, obviously. Amazing. Uh, if looking closer, the blackout curtains have been directly stapled into the wall, so they cannot be accidentally opened. But like, I mean, but not stapled in like a like roughshod kind of way. Like it was like professionally done, mm -hmm. installed. Like it looks very clean. Would you have done it yourself? Or would Teddy have done it? Um, uh, Teddy's very hands-on. He would have done it for sure. Yeah, uh, this is another question because I, I know some information that will come out eventually as it goes on, but it's worth uh, answering, which is you are married to Teddy, a mortal. Has yeah. he matched your night cycle or do you guys alternate? Um, He, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's like, it's one of those things like, well... You know, I'm going to bed and we'll have like an hour or so before he has to get up. And yeah, he's okay, so he's he's a, he's um, like he does I.T. for the town of New Haven. Cool. So he's got to have a day job. So what is the uh, yeah. So so he, he does the day shift on that, which is true of a lot of mortals uh, yeah. in New Haven, where there there's a vampire equivalent that comes in at night to do the work. Uh, as you get dressed, what is your your morning your morning, his night ritual like? Like, what is the, the two ships passing beat? Because yeah. usually couples fall into a routine. Yeah. Um, it's, uh... <laughs> so, usually, like, I'll be... Um, he'll come home, you know, he'll have his dinner and everything. I'm still asleep. Um, and what he does is he makes, like he basically makes his uh um dessert which is like my breakfast for him and we like eat in bed and just like chat for a little bit that's um, that's very nice yeah uh, and i think because you at your humanity level you can wake up an hour before dawn i believe yeah. without it costing anything so i think that can be like kind of your hour yeah. that you get to to spend yeah. together so he which he preps nice. himself his his meal and he brings you your rations uh which you've got stored again in the little kind of high yeah. sea containers um and you, and you get to have that kind of nice morning uh what what is your uniform looking like have you altered it at all for the work that you're doing oh yes um my because normally it's just kind of like a shirt is like a box shape like unisex very like plain it's like can show like nothing um so i've had it like professionally tailored 
so it like like accentuates my waist has like a low deep v cut um and like the the pants are very nicely tapered nice yeah uh yeah as you get dressed teddy's kind of laying in bed having finished his meal and just kind of watching you on the way out and he's just like i just can't get used to this you know it's been it's only been a couple weeks this is crazy i mean is it weirder that you're a vampire or that you're a cop um well i mean cop is a job cop is a job that people can have um so i would say that the vampire thing is 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 the weirder one right like we we agree on that one right yeah sorry i was just trying to make a joke it's kind of been a lot of change and like i don't know the it is kind of weird there's like a a, a Nosferatu or something, yep. who's the, the night guy. Yeah, he sheds everywhere, and he kind of has weird wiring practices, like it's the 30s, which is not really ideal. <laughs> so I'm just trying to – I'm sorry. I know this is hard for you, too. I do. Uh, what does Teddy look like? Um, Teddy looks completely unremarkable. Hmm. <laughs> um, in, in the sense that, like, basically take, like, the average – of people of like all men and kind of put them together. Um, but he has like kind of this like really, really cute kind of like half smile that he does that I found really endearing. So, nice. and, and what do you look like? We know what your uniform yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm basically think like jewel state, but at like 38. 39. Okay. So she has like, um, so she's like pretty short, like she's quite like voluptuous, think more like Kaylee, not when she got thinner. Um, and uh, with like a dark brown hair that like kind of flows very nicely, like just past her shoulders. Um, she Her makeup is pristine. Um, and, and you can tell she's like definitely found like the one place that will like do like a blowout after after dark awesome i realized i made an assumption which is are you eating your rations in front of teddy or are those your own thing because you can still eat food no. right yeah i can still i can still eat food yeah it doesn't like do anything for me um but i can still i can still consume it so we'll have like our normal food and i will essentially like go to the bathroom to do my whole like get ready routine and i'll have my rations in private there Fair he enough. doesn't need to see that it's so he's just like yelling from where he is as your conversation continues as you're like eating getting ready he's like it's so cool that we still need to have meals together though because everybody says vampires don't eat clearly that you, you know you're closer to us than people think i think integration is a really good idea how could this not work and she just yells like, yep, yep, it's working. You got it, Teddy. She's like, kind of gives like a thumbs up, like out the door. Yeah. And he just steps into the doorway and he's like, I'm, do you know what? I'm sorry that I'm making jokes. I'm sorry about all the other stuff. I know you didn't want this and it's just as new for you as it is for me. We're going to get through this. This is fine. You know, no, nothing's changed. The important thing is we still completely trust each other and we're sharing everything. And how can we not get through this? And she basically just like, like drops her like curler and like, and basically collapses into him and like hugs him. He's like, all right, we're good. We're good. 
I'm kind of dumb sometimes, but we're good. Uh, I'll, I'll let you finish getting ready, and I got to sleep. I'm going to try not to dream about Nosferatu skin. Well, and she just gives him like a peck on the cheek. Yeah, stay safe out there and keep other vampires safe, I guess. I guess that's, I guess that's my job. Yeah. And she turns back to the mirror. Yeah, don't worry, he says on his way out. He's like, it's only been a couple of weeks. In a couple of months, I'm sure you'll be way more used to being a vampire. Uh, and he goes back to bed and those words haunt you. She, yeah, she just stares. She, for months. she <laughs> stares at herself just like for a solid five minutes, just like unblinking staring. And then as the sun finally sets, you go outside to your work uh, and Cherry pulls up uh, because you don't have a car because you were used to being a, a big city gal uh, until you were sent out to New Haven. So you carpool with Val every morning. Uh, you climb in and what do you say in this kind of odd mood that you're in? <laughs> I'm just gonna, like, like, it's a little flashy, right? Oh, yeah. You yeah. know that. It's. I, so this is what she's oh, saying. She's saying she this to Val. Yeah. Val's response will just be like to lick her toothpick onto the other side of her mouth and then just pull away and not wait for her to put her seatbelt on. And and uh, as she like as she drives away, like um oh my character's Evangeline. I don't know if we said that. Evangeline Clark. Um so who I I just call Evie. Um and most um, people Does do. everyone call you Evie or do you just call yourself Evie? No, Teddy Teddy does uh my friends and my fans do. Okay, so at work everyone would call you Evangeline. Yes. Unless do you, do you consider this is a weird question. Do you consider uh Doris or Val your friend? No. I would say Doris would call her Evangeline. But Val is going to call her Clark. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so basically as she pulls away, base, uh, Evie just kind of like her eyes go wide and she kind of like rolls her eyes and stares out the window. Nice. So you're driving along uh, to get yourself kind of, I, I mean, driving is probably the softest term to be used for what <laughs> Val is currently doing to the road. Uh, <laughs> You are aggressively racing towards a goal in a way that I don't know if you'll ever get used to, uh, Evangeline, but you're trying <laughs> to not criticize driving. Is It's that panic, nervous, oh, God, someone's a dragster. Uh, Evangeline, can you roll me a perception? Does that even exist in this system? Of course it doesn't. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> it's awareness. Uh, can you roll me an awareness and a wits? Awareness and wits. Okie dokie. All right. I have to learn how to read these. And uh, all of you will be at, just so you know, one, they will all have one hunger. Cool. Hey, I got a critical success. Nice. Two tens? Yeah. Neither on a hunger die? Wait, I have a hunger die? Sorry. One I hunger didn't... die. Fuck. Don't, okay, I'm sorry. You don't for this chain. You, you escape. You want me to roll again? Success. That's great. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. So I'm sorry. How many successes total? So just four. Four. That's more than enough to notice what's going on. Um, 
you as as someone who's been trained uh, loosely over the last kind of two months, but trained nevertheless uh, to be an active part of kind of policing the community, uh, instead of just sitting on the side or panicking while watching the driving, you're just keeping an eye on the road and kind of keeping an eye on the surroundings to see if there's anything that stands out. You're not seeing a ton of traffic. It's a couple of cars here and there as you're kind of speeding through the downtown zone. Uh, you do notice that there are two, uh, two vans that are kind of driving past you away from the police station as you close in, kind of bigger white delivery style vans Mm -hmm. which seem a little out of place but it's not really anything super serious it's just like oh uh and you pull into uh the lot however you do spot something which is unsettling as you arrive in the lot itself which is you glance towards the front door and see they have both been shattered. So you know the setup of the station. The front doors are two kind of traditional wood doors with the glass centers that can kind of be locked shut. And then there's an internal kind of greeting space and then two big seal doors because the interior of the New Haven, uh, you know, sheriff's office is light tight. There's no way light can get inside it. Someone has shattered uh, those front doors in. Uh, And... As Val turns off <laughs> Cherry's throaty roar, uh, you can actually hear howls coming from inside uh, inside the police station. So because of your perception role being so successful, uh, you notice this uh, and can act with Val immediately. Uh, you've just kind of got to make the call on what you want to say and what you want to do. Um, I, I, I basically just put my hand out on Val's arm. And I just say, listen. What the now, fuck is that? Yeah. Um. So you're going to just do your thing now, right? <sighs> yeah. She's going to get out and go to the trunk and get a shotgun out of the trunk. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Abby, do you follow to get a shotgun yourself or what do you do? Um, you I have your I, sidearm I, already kind of in your yeah. holster. I, I, I looked about, I'm like, should I? Should, do I? Yeah, come on. She's Tru- gonna start gun? walking towards gun? the place. Sh- she closes the trunk and she walks towards the building. <laughs> yeah, fine. Got my nice. sidearm, I guess. And the two of you uh, finally reach the glass doors, but as you enter, kind of burst in in that police prep kind of around the corner kind of way because. Evie, you're new to this, but you're not clueless. Uh, you burst yeah. in just to see the steel doors kicked off their hinges and four screeching vampires tear into uh, the central desk area. And we flash back <laughs> one final time. Uh, Doris, you awake. Uh, you live in the attic of the sheriff's office. Yes. Uh, it has been set up as your own private apartment. What does it look like in there? It looks like... The most mishmashy fortune tellery apartment that you can imagine. Um, and when you come in, it kind of like it looks like a stereotypical, uh, you know, like there are gauzy curtains and there obviously there's no light, but she's got like lights on with different colors and gauzy curtains and beads everywhere. Um, and and candles and there's a central table with probably like a deck of cards and a crystal ball. Um, and then the the, the, the more that you look, the more that there are like weird touches, like there's a book on the bookshelf that kind of looks like it might be made out of skin. Um, there are little trinkets that definitely aren't from this century, um, like little like like coins and uh, candelabras and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it's just like it's the the more you look, the more kind of off putting it is. 
but right away it's and it, and it smells faintly of uh lily of the valley nice and are you are you a coffin sleeper or what is doris's sleep setup like <laughs> um ooh yes i feel like whatever would pass for a coffin in like f- 1600s that's how it would look like so just ultra simple kind of handcrafted wooden box. Do you think yes. it is the original coffin you would have dealt with that you've like retreated over time? Or is that just the design aesthetic you enjoy? I think that's a design aesthetic. I don't think that they, she could she could have carted her coffin all the way from Ireland. Um, but yeah, I think she's remembered it and kind of like lovingly recreated it in her apartment. Wonderful. So you you wake up. Uh, do you have, um, a, for lack of a better term, but like a morning ritual for Doris? Hmm. Um, yes. I think her morning ritual would be going and you never quite see what card she's pulling out, but she does like a one card reading for herself. Uh, well, in, in a very, in a very wistful ritualistic way um, that she'll like pour her blood into like a chalice and uh and and sip the blood from the chalice as she's doing her one card reading for the day and you don't see what that card is but she kind of every morning it's something different and wonderful and, uh yeah. do you have a d100 with you oh no or I don't. just two d10s yes roll me two d10s okay actually oh, oh. 75 Wonderful. Um, the number comes in and it's fascinating because it suggests that a mystery will be unveiled and at the same time, good news will arrive. The only reason that's confusing is because Troy slams through uh, the door to your apartment and he's like, this is really bad. We're under attack. Uh, and uh and as he bursts in, because this is the the thing that I just forgot to say, uh, but as he bursts in, there's a flurry of cat. Um, <laughs> and you see like six cats, all of them black, uh, go skittering around the room. Um, and uh, she'll, she'll just kind of look at him with wide eyes and say, perhaps this is the mystery, Troy. Perhaps this is what the card says. I don't know, but there's vampires that are going to come kill me and you, and then maybe the cats eventually. We got to protect this place. Well, then perhaps we'll tell them not to. That sounds really good. Uh, they kind of wouldn't listen to me, and then they kicked in the glass doors, and then just went, ah, I'm going to kill you. And then I came inside and locked the door, so we got like a minute. How barbaric. <laughs> uh, and she's just going to, um, she's just going to rise and uh, and carefully put her cards to the side, uh, throw a shawl over the crystal ball, um, and just go over and and she'll take his hand uh, and just say, uh, "We'll go, but make sure that the children are safe." And she gestures to the cats, um, and then just kind of like flows out the door past him. None, none of you go past me, okay? There's bad stuff out there. And he's just looking at cats. He's like, "Not you, Buster, and not you." Nutty, stay, stay. Uh, and then he, he closes the door as one cat darts past him. He's like, oh, fuck. Uh, and then he's just going to follow you down the stairs. Um, he does manage to shoo the cat into the evidence locker and just lock it in there so it won't get into the front kind of combat area. 
Uh, and then you burst out to find uh, the sheriff and you have the conversation you did. And then the front doors burst forwards and you see Val and, and Evangeline uh, at the front bursting in behind them. But you realize you are facing four fully frenzied, terrifying vampires out for your blood. This episode of Blood and Syrup features the voices of Tyler Hewitt at Tyler underscore Hewitt on Twitter, Claire Blackwood at Claire Blackwood on Twitter, Del Borvik at Deltastic on Twitter, Lori Elizabeth at E.L. Hamstring on Twitter, and storyteller Ryan LaPlante at The Ryan LaPlante on Twitter. This episode was edited and mixed by Laura Hamstra, and our show log was created by Decapitated Markers at Decapitated Marker on Twitter. That's M-R-K-R. Our theme songs are What's Really Going On Right Now by Chase Allen Willis and Traffic by Kai Engel. And our ads use the tracks No Control and Chiefs by Jazzar, J-A-H-Z-Z-A-R. All of their music is available at freemusicarchive.org. When it comes to Dum Dums and Dice, you can visit our website at dumdumdice.com, our Twitter and Instagram at dumdumdice, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash dumdumdice. We also have merchandise available at redbubble.com slash people slash dumdumdice. And most importantly, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. That's D-U-M-B, D-U-M-B, D-I-C-E. Sleep well, my kindred. Sleep well in this world of darkness. Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time. Christian Manicola, Long Long, The Half-Blind Prophet, James Quayar, Charles Grams, Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby, One True Artistry, Orion Birchfield, Lorda Bradovic, Noel Lewis, Scott Garland, Anthony Griffin, Chet Awesome Laser, Jordan Neesmith, Benjamin B, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Taryn Hefner, Cade Peters, Richard Cranium, Christian Mendez, Anna Zed, Eric Williams, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Great Dane, Acrix, Cameron Ezel, Grandma Likes D&D, Pazat, Austin Nut Powers Fry, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.